it came out of nowhere. I had no idea. Like I was just going to be a teacher for the rest of my life, a sister who teaches. That's all I ever saw myself doing, maybe becoming an administrator one day. And then out of the blue, I was asked if I would do vocations work. I had never considered that before, but it definitely wasn't from me. But what I've noticed is how much I really love accompanying people and witnessing God's work in the journey of someone's life. Welcome to a Pondering Heart podcast. We're two friends learning and growing together in our Catholic faith. We'll talk about the triumphs and struggles that we face on our journey, and then we'll dive even deeper. My name is Amina Morrow, and I'm Rachel Wong. Let's ponder out loud together. Hello, everybody. Thanks for joining us on this episode of A Pondering Heart Podcast. I'm Rachel, and as always, I'm joined by my co-host, Emmy. Hi, Emmy. Hi, Rachel. And today in the Zoom room for this episode, Emmy and I are so, so delighted to have one of our favorite people in the whole world, Sister Mary Sabina. Hello, sister. Hi, Emmy. Hi, Rachel. I love being here with you two. I was so excited to be with you guys today, so... Thanks for having me. Such a joy to have you today on this Friday and just to be with you. Um, Sister, maybe before we really get going, uh, if you could share with listeners just a little bit about who you are and introduce yourself. So my name is Sister Mary Sabina, and I am a Dominican sister of St. Cecilia. And I entered the convent in 2001, which doesn't seem like it should be 20 years ago, but it was 20 years ago. I professed my first vows in 2003. I'm a teacher. I've taught elementary, junior high, and high school all across the United States and now Canada. I've been here in Vancouver since 2011. And before I became a sister, I was a normal person. Most people find that very hard to believe, (laughs) but I was a regular kid, regular teenager, went to university, and all of those wonderful things. And I grew up in the United States. And I'm even a convert to Catholicism in a way. So I'm one of those People, I'm not a total convert, but I'm not a total cradle Catholic either. So I grew up in a couple of different churches, but when I, it was time to be confirmed, I chose to be confirmed in the Catholic church. And so it was a conscious decision and I am very grateful for World Youth Days and the role they've had in my life and my vocation. And I'm also a confession junkie. So that's like my weird, I love confession. (laughs) I don't know if I've ever heard anyone say confession junkie, but that's really beautiful, though. You know, just to love confession so much and just to to seek it out all the time. That's wonderful. Yeah. And I also want to just note to you mentioned entering in 2001, moving here to Vancouver in 2011. And here we are in 2021. These are milestone years. So just congratulations to you, sister. That's really beautiful. That is, and it's kind of strange, you know, you don't really realize it until all of a sudden you say it and you hear it and you go, wow, 10 years ago and we came to, our community came to Vancouver and 10 years before that I entered the convent and God's grace the whole time, right? Absolutely. (laughs) Okay, well, thank you, sister. And we're going to hear more from, well, the whole episode we will be hearing from sister Mary Sabina. I'm so grateful for that. But Emmy, I'm going to get you to kick us off with our icebreaker game. So I'll let you explain. 
Cool. Okay. Um, so, sister, for our listeners to get to know you a little better, we're going to play our version of this or that <laughs> religious sister edition, apparently. Excellent. <laughs> I'm excited. I don't think I'm scared. I hope I'm not scared. <laughs> don't be. Don't we be. have faith in you, sister. Yes. <laughs> okay. So this, the first question is 100% just for my own benefit. I'm just really curious. Cats or dogs? Cats. But I'm allergic to both, so that's why it's hard. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. I love that. All right. Hockey or football? Football. Football. I know I'm wrong. Sorry. I'm in Canada. (laughs) That's funny that you say that because that was exactly why I wanted to ask, was just because you mentioned that you grew up in the United States. Football is huge there. But of course, the the quote unquote Canadian sport, even though it's not, is hockey. I mean, there are no right or wrong answers because I would be a neither person. Same. <laughs> well, and I have grown to embrace hockey since coming to Canada. Nice. But my memories of my childhood always go back to football. I have no memory of hockey until I came to Vancouver. <laughs> <laughs> new memories, new memories. <laughs> yes. Okay, next question is, um, this is a little random, but we'll go with it. Extreme heat or extreme cold? Extreme cold. Ooh, how come? You can always add layers, but you can't take them off. Very true. Very practical. Very true. Love mm. that. <laughs> okay. Well, this might inform the next one, but we'll give it a go. Hiking or snowshoeing? Oh, that one's rough. Hiking. Because you're not gonna you're not in as much danger as hypothermia. But that one was rough because, but hiking takes less gear than snowshoeing. You don't have to worry about avalanche forecasts and ice picks and avalanche probes. So hiking is just like faster to like just get up and go. Mm-hmm. And I just want to say really quickly as an aside, listeners, if you've never gone hiking with sisters before, what they say is true. They hike in their habits And I always feel incredibly inadequate because I like will fall in hiking boots and just climbing gear. But the sisters, you're all so graceful and your habits do not get dirty. And they're white. Like the Dominicans are like their habits are white. It still surprises me to this day. Yes. Meanwhile, my jacket is like tracked all over (laughs) as if I've walked over myself. Like what is happening? So anyway, if you ever get the chance to go hiking with sisters, do it because it's so much fun so much grace and i just feel extra safe (laughs) i I am also the hiking mom and the safety sister and so those are my nicknames okay next question um sweet or savory i knew this was gonna come (laughs) ah sweet oh nice but i like all food so (laughs) that's fair amen amen all right here we go going into maybe something a little more seasonal Lent or Advent? Advent. I like the gentleness of it and the softness of it. And the, like Lent is awesome for the hardcore, but there's something about Advent that it's just so, I guess, feminine in a way, Hmm. you know? Hmm. That's beautiful. Mm -hmm. I love that. Mm -hmm. Okay. This one is a little fun. (laughs) Rachel's laughing because she knows. Um, St. Thomas Aquinas or... St. Dominic. Oh, that's wrong. (laughs) Uh Uh-oh. St. Dominic. 
Love it. And, and that's what St. Thomas would say too. That's because St. Thomas wouldn't be St. Thomas if there weren't a St. Dominic. Mm. Ooh. Got to get to the that's roots. Fair. <laughs> yeah. That's fair. Okay. Yes, we were thinking about, so that one, as well as this last one. Oh, dear. All right. Here we go. St. Cecilia or St. Sabina? St. Oh, Cecilia. Because I wouldn't be Sister Mary Sabina if there had not first been a St. Cecilia. Mm. Wow. That's fair. Although they might have been contemporaries, to be honest. So they they might have been friends, Sabina and Cecilia. We don't know. We, we know they're friends now. But I know more about St. Cecilia than I do about St. Sabina. Although they're both, they're my top two on my nightly litany, so. Mm. Yeah. And that's really beautiful, too, because I remember when Emmy and I were preparing for this, I had no idea that there was a, a St. Sabina so I think maybe the only time that I'd come across the name was like, I, I have a friend named Sabina, but of course, also yourself, sister, sister Mary Sabina. And it just, it never dawned on me that's like, oh, wait a second. There's a, there's a Saint Sabina. So we looked into it a little more, but I appreciate both of your you know, very pragmatic answers to both of our, we're trying to make a little trouble <laughs> here, but uh, you were very pragmatic and very graceful. That's why I'm a high school teacher. I have to be graceful under fire. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks for indulging this in that little game. <laughs> Although I guess I can tell you, if you'll indulge me, I can tell you why I chose the name, Sister Mary Sabina, uh, because most people have never heard of her and we still don't know a lot about her, but it goes back to my love of St. Dominic. And so when I first met St. Dominic and I was actually in Rome um, discerning my vocation for a while, and I'll probably talk a little bit about that later, but that's not a big piece. But when I was in Rome, I was hanging out at the church Santa Sabina. And I was only hanging out there because I knew St. Dominic had been there. And after I became a sister, I found out he didn't just hang out there. It's not just the headquarters of the Dominican order. But when he would pray there, it was before the Blessed Sacrament was kept in tabernacles. And so he would go into the church in front of the altar at night and he would prostrate himself before the altar at night and before the crucifix at night. And he would do it in the church of Santa Sabina, right where Sabina was buried in the church, in the floor of the church. And so the thought of lying prostrate before the altar mm -hmm. where Sabina was buried. And I always just think that's my idea of romance is prostrate before the altar. And so if St. Dominic had this devotion to St. Sabina, um, right there when he was making those prostrations then i just thought what a better place to be wow yeah. praise god yeah yeah emmy i think you'd mentioned that you'd heard this story I before have. but i think this is the first time that i've heard this story so that's really beautiful <laughs> mm -hmm. yeah like what a gift that is my goodness yeah, for sure well again sister just to echo emmy's earlier words thanks for indulging us and thank you also for sharing that beautiful story I think it's almost quite apt to end off on that last one, like St. Sabina versus St. Cecilia. And you mentioned that there's a potential for them to be friends. And I think this points to something that we wanted to chat with you about today and to ponder about and go deeper into, which is just around the whole idea of accompaniment, but particularly accompaniment and vocation and why it's so important to, you know, really discern, not in isolation, but discern with other people. 
So, you know, maybe before we jump into that, if you wouldn't mind sharing a little bit of your vocation story, maybe like a, an abridged version of, you know, how you came to become a sister. Sure, I would love to because it still amazes me. Even just how did I get to where I am today? I never would have thought 10 years ago or 20 years ago or 30 years ago. And like I mentioned before, I, I kind of grew up in both the Catholic Church and another Christian denomination because my parents went to different churches. And so I really had a choice as to whether or not I wanted to be Catholic. And so I was a cradle Catholic, but I was also very free to choose to not be Catholic within my family. And I did choose to become Catholic. And it's all because of an encounter I had with Christ at World Youth Day in 1993 in Denver. I'll never forget that moment, just having this very strong sense of being in this football stadium filled with 35,000 other young people and just having a sense that I was Catholic. And it was just done. I, I wasn't asking the question, but it was answered before I even asked it. But I kind of have to start there just because that was the first sense I had of the universality of the Catholic Church and how I was entering into something much greater than myself and much bigger than myself. And that really pointed me toward my vocation. From there, I joined my youth group at my local parish. I ended up going to a university that was a Catholic university in the United States. And it was in that Catholic university, I met sisters for the first time. And so the first time I went to see these sisters out of pure curiosity, because I was a Catholic girl in university, and it said, oh, these sisters are coming. You, could, you should come meet sisters. And I thought, well, I'm Catholic. I'm a girl, I should meet sisters. Um, but it was also campus ministry and they were brilliant because they offered free food every time they had a speaker come. And so most of us went for the free food and we were happy to listen to the speaker. That was probably the first time I went for the speaker and I was happy to eat the food. But after I met these sisters, I couldn't sleep that night. And I thought it was the strangest thing because I had never met sisters. I'd never thought about being a sister. But once I met them, it shook my world. And mm -hmm. so I introduced myself to the sisters. I connected with the community. And lo and behold, they were from this city called Nashville, Tennessee, <laughs> which was in the exact opposite direction of every direction I wanted to go in my life. <laughs> I was in Texas at the time and very mm -hmm. much looking forward to returning to my home state of Colorado because I always say my heart was in Colorado and the mountains of Colorado. And that's where I wanted to serve the Lord for the rest of my life. Nashville, I not only had I never been there, but it was in the opposite direction of Colorado. They didn't have the mountains. I didn't know people, but the sisters were there. And once I met the sisters, that kind of changed everything. And so I started discerning. And as I started discerning, I met them in my second year of university. And so I said, okay, Lord, I'm gonna discern. I met them, I think, in September. I visited in October, and I said, okay, Lord, I'm going to discern. Here I go. I was off on a semester in Rome with my university, and I said, I'm in Rome. Best place to discern. Lord, you tell me what you want me to do. You can let me know on Easter Sunday. <laughs> and so here it is. I'm in Rome, eternal city, praying, discerning. And Easter comes along and I, I don't hear anything from the Lord. And I'm like, great. Okay, Lord. I mean, I gave you an option and you didn't, you didn't speak. So obviously <laughs> I'm called to marriage. And 
because that's obviously what we all naturally feel called to. And I was very excited at that prospect. But after I kind of gave that time limit and the Lord didn't meet it, I wasn't at peace. Mm. And so I said, okay, Lord, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have, you know, tried to confine your grace to a specific period of time like that. Lent was obviously too short of a time for such a major life decision. And so really Pentecost would be a more appropriate time for the coming of the Holy Spirit to reveal his will to me. So Lord, I'm going to pray some more and Holy Spirit come Pentecost, let me know. And Pentecost came, no word from the Lord. And so I said, great marriage, there we have it. But then again, I wasn't at peace. Mm. And it kept annoying me because every time I thought I was off the hook for discernment, And I was like, okay, I tried that, didn't work. I would have this unsettled feeling. And so finally I said, okay, Lord, I actually am going to stop giving all time limits and I'm just going to live my life. And you need to tell me if you want me to be your bride. And I started dating, praying for the perfect guy, found the perfect guy, Uh, Mr. Catholic, you know, met him at daily mass, saw him at the nightly rosary. He's everything you've ever prayed for. And I thought, Lord, thank you. Finally, marriage, it's obvious. You gave me the guy, you answered my prayers. He's willing to move back to Colorado with me, have a big family, we're good. So I went to my spiritual director and I just said, you know, Father, I've been praying. The Lord sent me this guy. So I don't need to discern anymore, right? I don't need to talk to these sisters anymore, right? And he said, why do you think you're called to be a sister? I said, no, 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 no. I'm here to talk about why I'm called to marriage. And he said, why do you think you're called to be a sister? And I said, well, if you ask me when I'm at mass or adoration, I'd say I'm called to be a sister. And I said it and I knew. I said, oh man, (laughs) okay, there it goes. But something that really struck me is as I left that session with that spiritual director, I was ecstatic. I was almost skipping and I am not a skipping personality. That is not who I am or what I'm like, but I was so joyful. And I thought it was so strange that I was so joyful after just realizing that I was going to go on a vocation retreat and possibly go at Mr. Perfect. But that's exactly what God was calling me to. And when I went on that vocation retreat, I really had a sense of peace and a sense that I was at home. And so Lots of difficulties, you know, I'm telling my family, they weren't super happy telling the guy that was difficult, but he was very gracious. Um, Telling a lot of my friends who had no concept of why I would do something like this with my life. But that was all back in 2001. And so I did enter and it has been the adventure of a lifetime and lots of really good friends. I think as we were talking about accompaniment, and I know that's kind of where we're going to go. My last year of university, I had one friend who was also discerning religious life. And that made a huge difference for me. I did have a spiritual director and I still keep in contact with him today, but I had a really good friend and she is now actually a cloistered Carmelite nun in the United States. But having someone else who was experiencing the same things I was experiencing and discerning the same things I was discerning and had her faith in the same place that I had my faith was really helpful. Even just to be able to go for a walk and talk to each other in ways that nobody else understood us was really helpful. And so even though she wasn't my director, she was my friend. Having that friend to walk with me made a major impact on my life. And so as we start to look at accompaniment and discernment, I just thought, wow, 
I'm really grateful I had that friend to walk with me at that time in my life. That was so good. <laughs> so, so you have to have heard this at least 10 times, Emmy. <laughs> yes, but it's like so good every time, though, because like, I really appreciate how um, the Lord gave you a choice, like in a sense, like because you've been praying for this perfect guy and then he did come along in a sense. And then um, when it came down to actually reflecting on your inner desires, like he revealed himself in a way that surprised you, but also brought you a lot of joy and peace. So it still gets to me. It's been like a hundred million times I've heard this, but (laughs) it's still so good. Yeah. And I think you touch on something there, Emmy, just like that freedom piece, right? I mean, and I know, sister, we've talked about this before, you know, when it comes to discerning, whether it's religious life or even marriage, or even, you know, in the, maybe the the closer to us now, like in terms of what's next, like after university, or do I stay in this job and move on to another one, for example, like so many times I feel like we put the pressure on ourselves as if we need to do the super hard trademark mm-hmm. thing and and we have to put ourselves through right. like life's most miserable battles or something and that's the way that God will call us. Mm. But I think what's been made clear to me, you know, in hearing your story again and in talking to other, you know, whether it's married couples or priests or religious women, consecrated women, is that, you know, like Emmy said, there's a lot of freedom, there is a choice and he kept you very close and I think that there's something really beautiful in that yes it's true and I think freedom anybody who ever talks to me I always talk about freedom and working with our freedom and God respects our freedom because that was such a beautiful encounter I had with the Lord was his respect for my own freedom and that true freedom brings joy you know and I and I once heard somebody say that they told the Lord, fine, if you want me to be miserable for the rest of my life, then that's what I'm going to do. I was like, that's not his plan. (laughs) Like, it's not like God's like, I want you to be as miserable as possible. So I'm going to give you the vocation to make you as miserable as possible, because that's the only way to get holy. No, Jesus was not miserable his entire life, because if he had been, nobody would have followed him. And so I do think that true freedom brings joy. And that's where we can encounter God in the most simple yet profound ways. Mm-hmm. Um, something else that stood out to me, sister, while you were sharing your story. I'm sure Rachel can speak to this as well. The whole idea of giving God like a deadline almost. And I loved how you moved it. That was my favorite part of hearing your story because that was also very <laughs> relatable. It's like, okay, he didn't speak during Easter. So maybe if I give him 50 more days, <laughs> like, he'll answer then isn't it true like i want my freedom but i'm going to confine him to my timeline you know like i don't give him the freedom but i want mine and i just like wow that really sister mary sabina yeah not the way to go but it's it's how we act right that's that's kind of how we're programmed and and i think that's a challenge we meet today because everybody has a timeline and everybody wants an answer and I want an answer. And it's this age of impatience. You know, I want faster internet and faster data and less transit time. And God speaks gently and he unfolds his plan for salvation in time over history. And he took time to do it. 
but it's really hard for us who are in time to wait for him <laughs> who is outside of time. So it's that patience piece that I think we're all working on. Yeah, absolutely. Like I find myself to be quite an impatient person, not just in vocation discernment, but I think especially that like given, you know, what we've been talking about, but it's such a beautiful thing to constantly remind ourselves of is that he really does take his time, but not out of spite Mm -hmm. or not just because like he wants to keep things from us. But I do firmly believe and I have to remind myself of this over and over again is that there is so much growth that can happen in the in-between. And so many times we're so focused on the destination or the end point And I think in a previous episode, Emmy and I talked about, you know, kind of like this, I keep calling it an escalator, (laughs) but I know that Emmy used staircase, but essentially, you know, you get get from one step to the next Mm -hmm. and you kind of expect that that's like the the timeline. You just follow a timeline Mm -hmm. and once you make it to one place, you'll go to the next and you just know. But many times, like if we're just so focused on like that deadline or the end destination we miss a lot of the beautiful things that happen in the in-between and I feel like it's there that God really does speak to us maybe in more subtle ways yeah if we don't pay attention we might miss out on some of the ways that he's speaking to us and he's always speaking to Mm us yes and I think even back to the this or that and you said advent or lent and I chose advent but I think about lent something about lent that I think all of us maybe even don't appreciate because we feel like it's been a year long Lent with COVID, but Lent isn't just about getting over it and finishing it. And Jesus didn't go out into the desert just to muscle through it and be done. Um, It's part of the process and it's part of the journey and it's essential to our growth. And that was an essential part of Jesus entering into his ministry was that time in the desert, not as a checklist, but as actually part of the plan and part of the journey and part of the process that would, is essential. His ministry, his humanity, his relatability, all of that wouldn't be the same if that weren't there because he was tempted there and, and we can relate to him in that. But it is, it's that, it's that journey and that process that couldn't he have just gone in the desert for one day encounter the devil and come back out and wouldn't that have checked that box off (laughs) you know and that's what we want we want to just check off the box but there's so much that happens on the journey that we need we need to spend that time even as much as we find it difficult Mm -hmm. speaking of journey sister i also really appreciated how you kind of brought two different perspectives of accompaniment because you also mentioned having a spiritual director during your journey and also having a friend at the same time while you're discerning religious life and I think it's so beautiful to kind of have a balance of both something that you and I personally have sister Mary Sabina have talked about that it's nice to have someone that's like ahead of you so you kind of have a guide to lead you closer to Christ and at the same time having someone that's beside you someone that understands what you're going through while you're going through it and it's such a gift to have that and I know I have that through Rachel and through you and through many other friends that I have from the Archdiocese and beyond and it's such a gift like it's such a yeah it's such a gift to have like in our in our lives to know that we're not alone like we're not um, like the Lord did not place us on this earth to be alone like we are meant to Um, journey with one another like it's purposeful it wasn't by accident he wanted us to walk side by side with someone and I think that's one of the beautiful things of this work that I'm doing with women's vocations it came out of nowhere 
I had no idea. Like I, I was just going to be a teacher for the rest of my life. A sister who teaches, that's all I ever saw myself doing, maybe becoming an administrator one day. And then out of the blue, I was asked if I would do vocations work. And I had never considered that before, but it definitely wasn't from me. But what I've noticed is how much I really love accompanying people and witnessing God's work in the journey of someone's life. And so the Fiat Women's Discernment Group in the Archdiocese of Vancouver is one area where we get to do that. I was actually asked to start that group because at the time there was really nothing in particular for women in the Archdiocese of Vancouver who were discerning. There were little pockets of two or three friends here, two or three friends there, but a lot of women kind of on their own and not realizing that there were other women discerning just like they were. They weren't this strange creature from another planet, (laughs) the only one who was thinking about this crazy idea of religious life, but there are other people just like them. And I love that we are able to bring together young women to walk together and to support one another and to be at different stages on the journey and to be okay at being at different stages on the journey, because I think we inspire one another, we support one another, and there's a camaraderie that comes through that. And so it's been really beautiful to watch the group dynamics as well as the individual accompaniment that goes with that group. Mm-hmm. One of the things that I find so interesting about women's vocations is that, and in no way am I you know, putting down men in this point, so please hear me correctly, but when it comes to, like obviously those men, those young men who are discerning priestly vocation, you know, the seminary is a very obvious kind of fit, and of course, like there are men that stay, there are men that go, and that in itself is is fine. It's beautiful. It's all part of the discernment process. But I guess it's like, you know, especially within a diocese setting, you can kind of see how that process is going to play out. And it's usually quite public as well. But then for women, as you mentioned, maybe prior to you starting this group, sister, it might have been pretty isolated or scattered. Maybe you had the one friend that knew about it who kind of understood, or maybe they didn't, but they're like, okay, like, I'm not going to judge you, but we'll, we'll go through this together. But I can imagine also that it could be very isolating if you are, you know, you're kind of trying to navigate that within yourself, but then also to your own story as well. Like, how do you share that with your parents and your family and your friends? If you happen to be dating someone and you feel this call, how do you gracefully, you know, move on from that person, right? Having so much care for and respect for the person that you're dating. It really is a beautiful thing. And I was wondering like what it was like, you know, once you got that call or that mandate to start the group, what were some of the first steps that came into mind where you're just like, okay, I've been asked to do this. I've been tasked to do this. Now, how am I going to execute it? So what was that process like? First, it was a lot of prayer because it was true. I was like, I don't know how to do this. And all of you who know me know that social media is not my comfort zone <laughs> nor my forte. Emmy laughs loudly because she designs all my Facebook banners because that is, I don't have the hours in the day that it would take to make one banner. And she makes five in the time it takes me to just turn on the computer and pray that I can have the grace to struggle through it. So definitely a lot of prayer. And then really, I just, I think a big part of it was I'd met some young women at summits 
And we'd had a couple young women who had approached our community for discernment. And so we just connected with them and they told their friends. And so I think our first evening, I sent through email and the diocese had a Facebook page. So we posted something on that Facebook page and it was across the street from our convent. And we didn't know what we were gonna do. We were gonna serve dinner, but we weren't sure what we were gonna serve. And so we just went out and got some pasta because it was a Friday. And we just hoped people would find the parish center to be quite honest, because we're all the way out in Port Coquitlam. And I think we had about 10 young women that first night and so grateful that they were able to connect with sisters from a couple of different communities and other young women and just have some basic questions answered. What is discernment? What is a sister? What is religious life? What is it that you're discerning? Because there just weren't that many resources that were widely available. And so it started very small, but also very grace-filled. At 4 p.m., the night of our first fiat, it was VIP at that time, the doorbell rang and one of my students, his dad was standing there, sister, I just caught this salmon in the river today. Would you like to have it for dinner? And I said, would I ever? Wow. I'm going to feed it to all these young women. And so from that, just the group grew. And one of the young women had a, had a catering business on the side. So she agreed to make all the meals for us. And some young women were talented in graphic design. And so they would advertise with Facebook. And it was really mostly through word of mouth that the group started. And even to this day, I think a lot of people join because they have a friend who tells them about it. And that's really beautiful because it is, it's really kind of grassroots. We're not in a lot of parish bulletins. Sometimes we get somebody from a parish bulletin or from the Facebook page, but but I think a lot of it is like-minded women who see each other at mass, they see each other at rise up, they see each other at a retreat, and then they just, they spread the word and it's a beautiful community, but it definitely started very small and very simple. It's actually been very stable and very steady. We've averaged out around 15 young women kind of constantly coming. Some come every month, some come every once in a while, some graduate through marriage or entering a community. They figure out their vocation and they move forward. And then we bring in new young women. And so it is, it's just a beautiful community and it has kind of this cycle of growth and it's just been really beautiful. Yeah, something that I'm very curious about, Sister, is like, how long has Fiat been going on for? You're asking me to do math. <laughs> on a Friday <laughs> afternoon during spring break. <laughs> I think it's been going for about six years, maybe oh, seven. Wow. Yes, it, it did. It started, I think, in 2015 or 16. It was really kind of the fruit of the year of consecrated oh, life. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And then it kind of grew at that time too. So yeah, it's been going for... A lot longer than I realized. I'd have to go back and look at all my different posters and themes. And um, we started by studying in the School of the Holy Spirit. And um, we've had different communities come and go. So I think it's been going six or seven years now. Wow. Yeah, I mean, like the longevity of it is certainly remarkable. But also, I think it just pays tribute to the fact that 
at all stages, there's always going to be women who are at different points in the journey, like you were mentioning earlier, sister. Like, there will always be women who are kind of in the process. Maybe they're already in touch with some communities. And, you know, maybe there are some women who are on the opposite end where they were just inspired by the Holy Spirit one day at Mass or they were at an event and then they just got inspired and now they want to learn more. So I find that to be really beautiful. Like, that's one of the wonderful aspects of having a group like this is that no matter who you are, no matter where you are in the process, you can kind of join in mm-hmm. and if nothing else, like even if you don't become a sister, you still are able to meet so many other young women. And I think especially for those who are in university or post-university life, making friends can be so challenging. So to even just meet other people who are like-minded in the faith and you know, share some like experiences, I think is so valuable. And it just reminds me of, you know, the relationship that St. Paul had with Timothy or, you know, St. Paul had with Barnabas. So again, it's like, you know, having those people in front of you and having those people to accompany alongside. And I think it does satisfy that need for so many people, especially those who might be on a campus and feel alone or might be in a workplace and Mm -hmm. feel alone to realize that there are people their age in the world living the faith like them. And it gives them a place where they can actually express themselves and be true to themselves and feel free to discuss these things that they cannot discuss necessarily with their roommates or their family. And so it has been really a blessing and an opportunity to just give people that ability to connect and then see people who who met at Fiat and now they're good friends or that helped them hook into a different group where they met it for a Bible study or other ways to grow in the faith. And so that has been, I think it's been a real gift to a lot of the young women who maybe didn't have the support outside and they found it in the, in the Fiat group. Throughout the last six years, you've been able to see young women come into the group, journey alongside you guys, graduate (laughs) either um, through getting married or entering religious life. Uh, You probably saw patterns within the people that have come and go. Like, what advice would you give for those that are in this position of trying to figure it out? Like, whatever it is, Um, what what patterns have you noticed? And um, yeah, what words of advice would you give to those that are like me and Rachel, figuring things out. (laughs) One pattern is a lot of times people come in and they just really don't know religious life because they've never encountered it. And I think even 20 and 30 years ago, people had possibly encountered sisters at some point in their life, but I never met a sister until I was in university. And so for many of these young women, we're the first sisters they've ever encountered. And so That first piece is just getting to know what is a sister? Who are they? What are they? What makes a sister different than a lay person? We're all called to love God and make him first in our life. So what makes a sister different? And so I think that first initial stage I've noticed is that people are coming in just very curious and sometimes even a little fearful because it's unknown or with misconceptions and misunderstandings because popular media is not necessarily a wonderful place to find your information about religious life, but religious life is quite often portrayed on popular media. Um, And we're not the sound of music and we're not sister act and we're not whatever latest horror movie came out about sisters, you know? And so I think that first stage of 
curiosity can have a little bit of fear and misunderstanding, but just then that learning about sisters and learning about consecration and what it what is the vocation of religious life because I really do think it's one that since most people haven't encountered it they don't understand it and then there's usually this sense of being overwhelmed because there are so many communities and not only are you discerning religious life but you can't just discern religious life you have to discern which community within religious life and I think that is probably the next big step that people have as they get overwhelmed, they almost want to shut down because it's like, it's too overwhelming to even begin to try to discern this. But it's kind of like dating. If you're called to marriage, you're not called to marriage in general, you're called to marry one man. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, you can be like, okay, dating is overwhelming because how do I know who to date or which guy to date? Well, it's the same thing with religious life. Mm -hmm. You don't necessarily go shopping with the intent to buy at each particular retailer. But what you need to do is you need to get to know people. Mm. And so I think that's one of the steps that takes a little bit of time that people are kind of not expecting. You know, you need to get to know multiple communities usually to get a sense of, okay, what is general and common to all of the communities, but then what is specific to this particular community that makes them unique? Mm -hmm. What is their charism? And the more communities people visit, the better they're able to discern, okay, which of it, which aspects are religious life in which aspects are religious life in this particular mm -hmm. community. That next step then is narrowing down, okay, where do I feel called within a charism? Which community do I feel drawn to enter into or to, to at least get to know on a deeper level than other communities? And then I've also noticed there's a pattern or there tends to be a pattern of wanting to have a timeline. And I <laughs> obviously fit my own pattern, right? Because everybody's like, okay, I'm discerning. I feel called to religious life. I need to meet a community. And then when is the entrance date? It's like, okay, pause pause um, because we want to know but I think and this is a challenge because the world today wants you to have a five-year plan mm -hmm. you need to have a resume and you need to have a goal and with discernment it doesn't work on a five-year plan obviously I tried to make it work on a five-month <laughs> plan and that did not work and if it won't work on five months it doesn't work on five years and so that pattern, though, of wanting to find the answer and be done with discernment um, when maybe we haven't been through the whole process. And so that that patience that none of us really enjoys practicing is definitely one that comes in. Probably one of the biggest patterns I've noticed or maybe challenges I've noticed for young women today is that there's a huge lack of spiritual directors. And I can't tell you how many young women come to me and ask sister can you recommend a spiritual director? Because not every priest necessarily understands religious life mm -hmm. because religious life is very different, especially than diocesan priesthood. So finding a spiritual director and if the priests aren't available, then is there a sister available? And while there are some sisters available, many of us have other apostolates. I'm a high school teacher and so, um, as much as I would love to do spiritual direction all day long, I can't do that in addition to teaching, in addition to being a sister in my community, which has to be my first priority is my relationship with Christ. And so I can't take away from prayer time 
even though it would be to do really wonderful things. So finding spiritual directors, I think, has been very difficult. That pattern of looking for someone to accompany a person, which is a good thing to do. Um, but that's also, I think, where we have to have not only spiritual directors, but those friends who can walk with us at the same time, especially for those seasons when, for whatever reason, spiritual direction is not as available. And I think COVID has been one of those times. Confession is more difficult to get to, and sometimes that's where we get some of our direction. Or priests are not able to meet in person because of COVID regulations. And so having to find other means of finding that direction in our life, which isn't necessarily a problem because we need to turn to Jesus and the scriptures, the saints and Our Lady and the Rosary. So there's always those places of grace. But I have noticed that that is a difficulty for a lot of young women today is to find a spiritual director. And I think the other pattern I've noticed is that a lot of people come to a point in discernment when they hit a wall that they weren't anticipating because they are ready to enter and then something happens that puts on the brakes. And for some young women that has been COVID because the reality is there are only two cloistered communities in our archdiocese. So if you're looking for active communities, you're gonna to have to leave this archdiocese and you're probably gonna to have to leave our country. And that's not possible right now. Mm -hmm. That has put the brakes on a lot of people and it's an unexpected difficulty that they're having to encounter. For some people, it's a more personal unexpected difficulty. So a wound from their past that they thought they had moved beyond, but it actually keeps coming back. A lot of times they want the next step to be to enter a community, but with that community, they might discern actually the next step is to maybe get some counseling or maybe seek some spiritual direction, or maybe have some time of healing. Um, and it can even be from a physical ailment that maybe we don't have the freedom to really enter into the life at this moment for whatever reason. And mm -hmm. so we might need to take steps to find that freedom, wherever that is. And I think that can be very discouraging and disappointing and disheartening. And when we're so excited about something, only to be told we have to wait. It comes back to that waiting. And that's more the Advent theme again, right? <laughs> that time of waiting and anticipating. And we know something great is coming, but it's not here yet. And that waiting can be so excruciating. But And I think I found that has been probably one of the more difficult pieces for so many young women is waiting to find a spiritual director or waiting to enter a community or waiting to find healing from something that's probably going to take two or three years to work through instead of two or three weeks, which is what we would prefer. So I think those have been some of the, the challenges that we've had to walk through together in faith. Mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, it's that time aspect again and again, right? It's timelines and being patient, but also recognizing that God has our best interests at the heart of himself and he that's what he desires for us so like i appreciate the wonderful insights that you've been able to provide sister and also just you know overarching like all the work that you and other sisters in our archdiocese are doing for young women and perhaps just as we kind of wind down the conversation in terms of like something to really reflect upon or maybe a call to action that you may be able to give 
for those listening, particularly maybe those women who are discerning or maybe don't know that they will eventually be called to discern anything that uh, you feel called to share just by way of encouragement? Sure. I think two things came to my mind the minute you asked me about that. And number one is trust, is that we have to trust. Like you said, God loves us infinitely, and he desires nothing more than to fulfill every one of our desires. And sometimes when we feel like those desires are being delayed in fulfillment, it can be really hard to believe that and to trust that. But I think to trust that no matter what is being asked of us, it is for our own good and our own happiness and our own salvation at the end of the day, that God is going to use every step of the way to bring us closer to himself and to closer to his heart. And number two is kind of related, but it's to not be afraid to take the next step. Because sometimes I do think we're very comfortable in our excuses. Well, I can't move forward right now. And so I'm not going to because I can't. But sometimes that time of waiting, there are things we can do. Jesus was in the desert for 40 days, but he didn't just hang out. Like he did battle with the devil, you know? And so, but we can't be afraid to take the next step. Whether that next step is, maybe it's time for me to reach out to a community just to say, hi, I'm interested in getting more information. They're not going to start measuring you for a habit the minute you reach out and ask for information, you know, but sometimes it takes a lot of courage to just to take that one step of inquiry, or maybe it's to take the next step of showing up at Fiat because you're kind of afraid to be seen anywhere where people might know you might be possibly maybe discerning, you know, (laughs) because we're so afraid of like having that label of, oh, she's discerning, Mm -hmm. but to not be afraid to take that next step or to not be afraid to bring it forward to your confessor or not be afraid if you're discerning and you're already partway down the road and you encounter something and someone says, okay, your next step is to really go back and look at this wound and see where it's coming from and how you can find some healing to not be afraid to take that next step. So to trust, but not be afraid to take the next step, whatever that next step might be, because, because God has it, you know, he's, he's with you and he's walking with you. And no matter how many spiritual directors or spiritual friends you have, the one that really matters is always by your side. And that's Jesus, you know, and he's accompanying you the whole way. And so is his mother. And so trust, do not be afraid and let them accompany you. Mm Oh, sister, thank you so much. What a brilliant way to, I think, like close off the conversation, but also just wonderful encouragement for anyone, regardless of what it is that God calls us Mm. to. And just to know that we are not alone, I think is always encouraging. It's always so fruitful. So thank you so much for that. And as always, we like to ask one another, as well as our guests, what is on your heart? So maybe I'll throw it to Emmy first. And since, Sister, you're our guest, we'll let you have some time to think and we'll circle back to you. But Emmy, do you want to go first? Many things, actually. But I think what is um, more prominent recently has been God's generosity. If our listeners have been following along with us for a while and um, Rachel and Sister Marie Sabina know me, 
I've been trying to figure out my next step for a really long time. And quite recently, I believe it's been revealed to me. I can't really reveal too, too much. But I've never felt so affirmed of moving forward in a step before. Like what Sister Mary Sabina was saying earlier, like to trust and to take that step. And it took me a long time. I'm sure it'll take the rest of my life to figure it out. But yeah, like it really just comes down to God's generosity and allowing me to take my time, but also to rest in his providence and his guidance for me. So that's on my heart. I've been pondering a lot about it recently. So we'll see how it goes. Um, Rachel, what's going on? What's on your heart? Yeah, I don't think mine is nearly as deep. (laughs) Okay. I, I think I've been thinking... Well, maybe. I don't know. You you both can be the judge of that. But I've just been thinking a lot more about this, the concept of detachment. So it came up in a couple of different contexts. But here in our archdiocese, and I'm sure this is the same elsewhere. um, But at the time that we're recording this, it was last week, I think, where we saw the pastoral assignments or reassignments, or as we affectionately call it here in Vancouver, the pastoral trade, like a hockey trade. So our parish assistant priest is leaving and, you know, this is not anything new, I guess. Like this has happened to our parish as well as many other parishes, you know, a few times over. Like it happens. It's a natural part of, you know, what these men make vows towards like during their ordination is like they make those vows of obedience to the archbishop. And depending on what the needs of the archdiocese are, these men are sent to different parishes to serve in whatever capacity and for however long. So I don't know why it hit a little differently this time. And, you know, I'm not insinuating that I love one priest more than another. But having said that, I've just been thinking more and more about, yeah, like this level of detachment that is needed. And this happens in religious life as well. Like, as I'm sure, sister, you can attest, there are women that come in and out of your mission, like here in Vancouver. And of yes. course, you could at any point be sent anywhere else. And that thought actually makes me very sad. But having, <laughs> but having said that, it's like this level of detachment that it's not just isolated to uh, men and women in religious life or the priesthood, but all of us at some point, like we could be called somewhere, somehow by God. Um, And it may require us to make some serious sacrifices and to uproot our lives. And I don't know, like, I think that, like, of course, there's a bit of sadness, but at the same time, I'm just so amazed and in awe of the resilience of our priests, of course, you know, how they have to insert themselves into a a well-established community. Like, there's bound to be human relationships that form, given the fact that we're human, we are people of connection so that part of it is very tricky so I just feel for all of the priests that have to go through this you know multiple times in their time as a priest I'm sure so yeah I've just been thinking a lot more about that recently sister what about you what's on your heart wow well mine's actually kind of the flip side of the detachment is the kind of attachment Mm -hmm. in a way but that personal encounter that you know at, at the time of recording we're we just got word that we're going to be allowed minimal but limited in-person religious gatherings just in time for different events that are coming up and how good it will be to see people in person again. Mm-hmm. 
we're incarnational. We are body, soul. And while it is so good to be connecting with everyone online and we've we've been able to reach out to more people in different places because we're no longer confined to one physical location with online events. At the same time, that, that personal encounter is so important. And I think when I was about to get online today, I saw Rachel just this last week in passing for about 15, 20 minutes because we were both recording something. I haven't seen Emmy in person in over a year. And I used to give Emmy a ride to all of these different events, you know, and, and so all of these people we haven't seen in person in so long. And so I'm really looking forward to kind of like that reintroduction to just those in-person relationships that I think we've all been missing. And so that's really on my heart is that that essential person-to-person contact that that is not the same online. And yes, online is a great way to connect, but I'm really looking forward to the personal connection we can have. That is really beautiful. Like I love how the Lord just really wrapped that up so nicely together. So again, sister, thank you so much, like on behalf of Emmy and I and our listeners, of course, thank you so, so much for sharing your time and your wisdom and some of the beautiful thoughts that you do have around this topic that I know is very near and dear to your heart. And we were wondering if you could help us close in a prayer. Sure. And thank you as well for having me. It's been, it's been great to have both of you together. It's, it's a little closer to something normal to have a conversation with two people at the same time. So it's been lovely. So yes, let's thank our Lord in prayer. In the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Lord God, we thank you for this beautiful time we've had together to rejoice in the work of your grace in our lives. And as we go forward, we ask you to bless us, bless all those who listen to this podcast, bless our families and our friends, and really bless our church as we enter into this season of grace. Help it be a true time of hope, a time of healing, a time of trust, a time of grace for all of us, a time of new life, but without forgetting the great lessons we have learned during the season of purification. In particular, we ask you to help us really reap the benefits of this past year of pandemic and all the difficulties it's brought in our lives, but help us to take those difficulties, to learn from them and to grow from them so that we may emerge as new people and different people who have grown closer to you and closer to one another. In a particular way, we place ourselves under the care of your mother as we pray, Hail Mary, full of grace, the Lord is with thee. Blessed art thou among women, and blessed is the fruit of thy womb, Jesus. Holy Mary, Mother of God, pray for us sinners, now and at the hour of our death. Amen. Saint Joseph, pray for us. In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Have to give Saint Joseph the last word. It's his year. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, sister. Thank you. 
Thank you for listening to a Pondering Heart podcast. You can listen to this podcast wherever you listen to your podcasts. And you can follow us on Instagram and Facebook at A Pondering Heart Podcast. Join us next time as we continue on our journey to sainthood.